This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. Good morning to all of you. Glad that you're with us today. It's our sixth Sunday in this year's fall campaign. The theme has been transformed, how God changes us. Aren't you glad that God doesn't leave you the way he found you, that he changes you? Thank God for it. I may not be that great, but you should have seen me yesterday. I tell you what, I tell you, I'm getting better and better every day, and I, I just am thrilled over that. I'm so glad God doesn't give up on us, amen? He doesn't cash in on us and say, well, if I'd have known you were going to be like that, I'd never saved you in the first place. He doesn't do that, you know? He says, I love you the way you are, and I will make you into the man or woman that you never thought you could be. And we just welcome you to Life Church this morning. Before I get into the message, and by the way, you can pull out your notes, because I'll be getting that in just a second, but uh, last Friday was, of course, uh, Veterans Day, and I think most of you are aware of that, and how we thank God for the wonderful men and women who have served this country in the military and have protected us and, and just kept us uh, so we have the liberties that we have and just have given so much sacrifice for this nation, and uh, not only for our nation, but actually for the people of the world. There have been so many countries and nations that have been set free from the tyranny of, of uh, 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 ungodly and unrighteous leadership, and it's just been wonderful to see. Uh, we're not perfect by a long shot, but it's wonderful to see how God has used this nation in so many significant ways. And some of you have served or are serving currently. You happen to be home in the military. And we want to thank you for your service to the United States of America and to the world. And... Um, one of the ways that we want to thank you this morning is if, if you are a veteran of uh, the Armed Services of the United States, would you uh, please raise your hand? Uh, we'd like to see and keep them up. Yeah, keep them up. We have a gift we want to give to you. It's a bookmark that says thank you for serving, and then you can read the rest of it that uh, we've given you. But also then a, a wonderful little pin of the United States flag that you can put on your lapel or somewhere on your shirt or, or your outfit or your purse if you're a woman, you know, however you want to make that work for you. But we just want to express our love and appreciation to you for what you have done for us as a nation, and we thank God for you. And uh, so today we want to move into our fall campaign for this Sunday. And today I'm going to be talking with you and teaching you what I feel is one of the very important messages that, that I have to share with you. And it will set the tone for the rest of your life. If, you, if uh, the Holy Spirit can help you with this, I'm going to be talking to you about how God changes us financially. And let's, let's admit it. Some of us need a real 
overhaul in our finances. I'm so glad that the Lord doesn't just work on us spiritually, but he gives us life abundant in this world too. Gives us everlasting life in the world to come, but he gives us abundant life. And that's what John 10.10 promises to us. He says, I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. And so uh, I, I am grateful that God uh, teaches us the importance of, of our finances and how he can give us direction so that our lives can be and our businesses can be greatly blessed and under the favor of the Lord. We've been using this entire series of messages, Romans 12, verse 2. It's kind of our foundational verse that says, don't copy the customs and behavior of this world, but let God transform you. Hallelujah. He transforms us into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you'll be able to understand and appreciate and live in the blessings of the will of God for your life, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Um, it may come as a surprise to you, but Jesus taught more on the subject of money than he, and money management in the parables of the Gospels, then he taught on the subjects of heaven and hell. That seems almost unbelievable, doesn't it? But it is true. If you review all of the parables that Jesus gave in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he did more teaching on the subject of money and the management of money than he did on the subject of heaven and hell. And of course, the question would come to me, it did come to me, why would he talk so much about the subject of money? Well, it's because it's such a huge part of our lives. We spend a lifetime earning it, trying to earn more of it, getting really good at spending it, and sometimes fighting over it. And in the process, it can become something that is, is, is a great blessing in our life, or it can become something that is a curse in our lives. But this is what I have observed about life. Every Christian will go through testing times financially. Every Christian will. It's not a sign of your spirituality, one way or the other. It is a fact that God will, will use money as a way to test us and direct our lives and speak to us. I want to talk about that for just a moment. Moses told the Israelites, the Jewish people, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Now uh, know then that your heart, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord disciplines us. Now those verses out of Deuteronomy 8 teach us at least, probably more, but I don't have time to get into everything, but it teaches at least three things about how God tests us financially. Number one, and why he t tests us financially. Number one, God will test you financially to reveal what's in your heart. To reveal your heart. You know, sometimes you can, uh, you can fool yourself. 
And God will use testing times to reveal what is in there. He wants you to understand you. Because if you understand you, then you'll begin to open up to his spirit in areas of your life that maybe you thought you didn't need to open up to him. And in so doing, he can bring correction and blessing into your life. Verse number three of Deuteronomy 8 says that God allowed Israel to experience hunger, which is, I think is kind of interesting because we basically talk about the blessings of God. But in this particular verse, God says, Moses said to the people, do you remember that God allowed you to go through times of hunger? Now, he said he did that in order to test your heart, to test what was in your heart. Basically, he was wanting to find out, will they be faithful to me when times are bad as well as when times are good? Am I just a giant Santa Claus in heaven that he gives whatever, that, you know, whatever we need and whatever we want, and he just pours it out, and as long as he does that, we serve him? Or will we serve him out of a full commitment of love where we give to him our hearts, our lives, everything. We are faithful to him regardless of what goes on in our lives. Now, the reason God wanted to test them in this area is because he wanted to bless them in greater ways. They had to, first of all, be faithful in this if God could bless them in that. Does that make sense? In order for you to move to the next level, you've got to, be, you've got to pass the test here. You pass the test here, you move to the next level of God's blessing. So this is what I want to share with all of you this morning. If you are going through a time of scarcity, it, first of all, I want you to understand it's not because God is really angry at you or anything. It is a time of testing to see if you will be faithful to God no matter what you're going through. Because if you are, that means you can be trusted with greater blessings with greater abundance in your life. Blessings come when we obey God's word. But if you bail out when the times get tough, it shows what's really in your heart and it will hinder the favor, the abundance, and the blessings of God upon your life. That's the first thing that we learn from these verses. Number two, we learn that God will test you to reveal a greater truth to you. He doesn't want you to stay where you're at. He wants you to grow in even greater ways. Verse number three says, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, he's not talking about food here. He's talking about the way we perceive life. Man does not live on all the possessions that he gains. Man is not successful based on what he owns, what he controls, what positions of power he sits in. Jesus is saying, well, actually, Jesus uh, repeated this, but Moses is saying here that man is not uh, sufficient, is not successful based on his, his achievements that's, what, that's the bigger meaning of bread. But by learning the power of the word of God and living on the power of the word of God. And when the word of God becomes the central thing in your life, everything else will prosper and grow in your life accordingly. But it's got to be the core of who you are. So don't allow anything else to get in there and be the core of you. The core of you must be the power of the word of God Stood upon, believed upon, 
Let it guide you, let it direct you, and when you do, it will set you in, in a direction of blessing under the power of God. Number three, God will test you to reveal that he can be trusted. He'll put you through testing times so that you can learn that you can trust him. He's going to bail you out. He's going to see you through. Verse 4 reminded the Jews that all through their wilderness journey, which lasted 40 years, imagine this, their clothes never wore out. In fact, he says their feet never swole up. You know, they had no physical ill effect from a 40-year journey in the wilderness. And that was because of the power of God. It was a miracle of God that that happened. God did that for them. It wasn't because they were superior uh, clothes makers, seamstresses, and so forth. It was because God undertook to keep them in supplied with whatever it is that they needed, whether it was physical health or whether it was the clothes on their backs. And he is telling you that if you stay true to him, if you'll build your life on his word, no matter what you go through uh, financially or any other area of your life, he will take care of every need of your life. That's what he's promising to you and me. So, what I want to say to you this morning is that God cares about your life. God knows every detail of your life, and he cares about this subject of money because money will set the tone of your life. He wants to lead you into financial abundance and blessing. It is my personal opinion that God no more wants you to live in poverty and scarcity on a regular basis, on a permanent basis, than he wants you to, to live in spiritual defeat the rest of your life. But to experience those blessings, to experience that favor, will require that you trust his word, that you believe his word, and that you obey his word. If half of the parables that Jesus taught in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke deal with the subject of money and money management, how important is this subject as far as God is concerned? I think the answer to that question is obvious. Now, I want to take us to the book of Proverbs, if you will, chapter 3 and verse 9 and 10. This is what uh, Solomon, King Solomon wrote. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Now, this is what we call a promise based on a premise. If you've been coming on Wednesday nights and hearing the teaching, you've, you've learned about uh, a promise based on a premise. This is one of those promises that has a premise that's tied to it. The promise is God will fill your barns with grain. He'll fill your vats to overflowing with, uh, with good wine. But, and, and I don't have any vats and, and I don't have any barns. Perhaps you don't either, you know. This is, of course, talking to the people of that time, but we, we translate that over and we understand what that means. He's saying, I'm going to bless your life in every way. That's what he's promising here by the words barns and vats. He's talking about uh, the blessings and the overflowing blessings of God. But for that to happen, you have to fulfill the premise. If the promise is going to be yours, you've got to first of all do the premise. What is a premise? A premise is a conditional agreement. It says, if you do this, I'll do that. And so you go to the car dealership, and the car salesman says, 
here you are. Here's the keys. It's yours. You can drive it off the lot. You don't have to worry about the police picking you up and hauling you to jail. It's your car. That's the promise. The premise is you got to pay for it first. That makes sense, right? You got to pay for the thing. All right. That's what a premise is. It's an agreement that's based on a condition. And that's what you get in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. A promise, an agreement that is based on a, uh, on a condition, on a premise. And we see that kind of thing all throughout Scripture. I'll just give you one example. Acts 16, verse 31. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. So what is the premise? Believe on the Lord Jesus. What is the promise that follows the premise? You will be saved and everyone in your household. God is saying, if you do this, I'll do that. That's what a, premise, a promise based on a premise is. Go back to Proverbs 9.10 now. It's the same thing. The premise is here, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything that you produce. If you do this, here's my promise to you. Then your, your barns will be full and your vats will overflow. So the question is, what does God mean, what does the Word of God mean when it says to honor Him with our wealth? Because if we want our barns full, if we want our vats overflowing, we've got to first of all honor God with our wealth. Are you with me this morning? Making sense? Okay. Well, I want to look at what honoring God means by answering three simple questions, but they're very important questions. And I, am, I have just prayed this week that God would give you a hunger for this because what I'm going to teach you this morning is, is if, if you can get this into your spirit, it has the power to transform your life financially. All right? So that's what, with that understanding... I want us to move into this. Is everybody ready? All right. Number one, the question is, who is the owner? And so you say, who is the owner of what? Who is the owner of you? Who owns you? This is the single most important question that you will answer about your life. Who is my owner? Now, I know some of you may be bristling, saying, nobody's my owner. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. But are you really? Romans chapter 6, verse 16 says, You become the slave or owned by whatever you choose to obey. Now, you can be owned by sin, which leads to death, or you can be, uh, choose to obey God, owned by God, which leads to righteous and eternal life. Now, if you look again at the first part of that verse, it says that we are slaves, we are owned by whatever we choose to obey. So we choose who owns us, right? It says whatever you choose to obey. You choose either, the, in this case it's talking about sin or God. You choose either to obey sin, which is going to lead to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to blessings in this life and in the world and in the world to come, eternal life as well. But the point that I'm trying to make to you this morning is that all of us are owned, we are controlled by someone or something. Every one of us. So you're a Christian this morning and you say, 
Well, I understand that, and I have given Jesus my heart and my life. He's my Savior, and I would declare that he is the owner of me. Jesus is my owner, and that's great. But you also need to understand that according to, Bob, uh, to God's word, there is only one way that you prove, if you will, or you acknowledge that Jesus is the owner of your life. Just, there's just one way. Now let's go back to the book of Genesis and we're going to try to uh, dig into this. In the first few chapters, those of you who know Genesis, you know in the first couple chapters, it's talking about the creation of the world. God uh, creates the, the heavens and the earth, and he creates everything in the earth and so forth. And then it moves on to his crowning creation, which is mankind, Adam and Eve. And he places Adam and Eve in a garden called Eden. Most of you know that. And in that garden, the Bible says there was every kind of fruit-bearing tree that were that were wonderful to eat, satisfying to eat, good to eat. And the Lord told Adam and Eve, you can eat from every tree in this garden except one. And I will call that tree the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. And he says, you can eat of every tree but this one. And then he said in Genesis 2.17, if you eat the fruit of this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you can be sure that you will die. It will set a pattern of death in your life. So the question is, why would God withhold the fruit of that one tree and allow him to eat every other tree? And the answer is at the core of what we're talking about this morning, which has the potential of transforming your life. As long as Adam and Eve obeyed God and they didn't eat from that forbidden tree, they were acknowledging something very significant. And this is what it was. They were acknowledging that God was the owner of all of it. He was the owner of the earth. He was the owner of the heavens. He was the owner of all of the trees. He was the owner of all of the animals. He was owner of everything, including them. Because they didn't make themselves. God formed them of the dust of the ground. He made Adam out of dirt. He made Eve out of something a little better. That just popped to my mind. Uh, that's why Eves are so attractive to Adams, you know, because they're better made. They're just better made. They come from better stuff. Well, I don't know where I'm going with that, so we'll move along. <laughs> so as long as they didn't eat the forbidden fruit, they were acknowledging that God was the true owner of the garden that they were living in. Now, as stewards, because that's what they were, he was the owner, they were the stewards. As stewards, they had control of, they managed the garden. And God gave them jobs to do within the within the garden. But they didn't own the garden. They managed the garden. They stewarded the garden, but they didn't own the garden. God was the owner. And he said, you acknowledge that I'm the owner by avoiding this one tree, the fruit of this one tree. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. But you know the story. They, they disobeyed God. The day came when they ate from that tree. And when they did, 
it, it was more than eating fruit. They were in effect saying, we are now calling the shots for our lives. We're now in charge. I know you said this is all yours and not to eat of that, but we're going to eat of it anyway because we want to be in charge. We want to be the owners of our own lives. And what they were telling God is we can now do what we please, and that has been the problem of the human race ever since. It's an ownership problem. It's not a money problem. It's an ownership problem. Who owns me? Do I own me or does God own me? Who's in charge? Am I in charge or is God in charge? Who's the boss? Now, Adam and Eve found out that even though they thought they could be the boss, that they really weren't the boss, and the day came for pay up for what they had done. And you know the story. God kicked them out of um, the garden, and, 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 and they, were, they were isolated from his presence. And, and uh, a terrible curse came upon them called the curse of sin, and it has plagued the human race from that day forward. So this was a big deal, what they did. It infected every single one of us down to today with this thing called sin, and we all have it, and we all deal with it. And if you wonder, what all, why are there so many problems in the earth? Right there it is. Sin. We have claimed ownership of our lives and not allowed God his proper place. Well, now moving down the centuries. It's still an ownership issue. I don't know how long ago Adam and Eve lived, but moving down all these centuries, we still are faced with this same question, who's in charge? God tells his people that there's still only one way that we acknowledge God's ownership of our lives. And if we were to take a poll today, and I was to ask all of you, it'd be interesting all the, the ways you would answer that. How, would, how do you think God, I'm not going to do it, so don't yell out, but how do you think we acknowledge biblically that God is the owner of our lives? And, and, and I will tell you that biblically it's not by singing worship songs, as wonderful as that is. That's not how you do it. And it's not, and it's not by, uh, by uh, reaching out to the homeless, as wonderful as that is. That, that's not how you do it. This is, the, there's only one way the Bible says you acknowledge that God is the owner of your life. You don't touch the tree. And the tree today is the tithe. It's the 10% of your income that God says is holy unto him. Now, some of you have come from a background where you were just forced into, into doing that, to paying your tithe, and you were... I mean, they showed up at your door or whatever to collect it from you. And so you, it, just, it just gripes you and, and, and you, you just pull away from anything that seems of legalism. It's not legalism, folks. It's how we declare that God is the owner. When I give him, when I pay him actually my tithe, I'm declaring in the most biblically profound way available to us I can sing the worship choruses, I can help the homeless, but this is the way God says you declare that he is the owner of all that you are and all that you have. Now this is why God got so upset with Israel, and it's, he talks about it in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. It says, you've cheated me out of tithes and offerings due to me. 
In other words, they were claiming ownership of themselves. And he says, because of this, you're under a curse for, the, for, your, whole, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, you'll like it. Now, uh, put me to the test. So what that is saying is that as far as God is concerned, the tithe is holy. Why is it holy? Because it's the way we declare his ownership over us. It's the tree. It's today's tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We don't partake of it. He's the owner of all that we are. But I, what I want you to notice also in Malachi here is something else. God says that when we use the tithe for our own purposes, and what would those purposes be? Well, to pay bills. Well, God, I've got bills. That make, we all have those. If we use the tithe to, to go out and buy something that we've been wanting, whatever that might be, or whatever we're talking about here, God considers that robbery. Not, a, not just unfortunate. He says, this is robbery to me. And, and notice that if we don't tithe, it's not like we go into neutral. See, some of us have this idea that if we don't tithe, then we just forfeit these blessings. But he says, no, when you don't tithe, it's robbery and it becomes a curse upon you. So just like Adam eating the fruit brought the curse of sin into the whole human race, when we eat of the tree that belongs to him, which is holy unto him, when we, when we do that, we are bringing um, a, a release or a, a, a lifting of God's favor from our lives and actually a settling of a curse upon us, which can have incredible effect upon us. So what I want you to understand is this. Everything that you have, everything you possess is God's in the first place. You owe nothing, you own nothing that is just yours. God gave it to you. You say, well, I worked for it. Yeah, but he's very clear that he gives you the power to make wealth. So if, you, if, if, he, if he didn't give you the power to do it, you'd have nothing. You'd have no, I would have nothing. So it all comes from God in the first place. He's the owner. You and I are the stewards of what we possess. Now, as stewards, that gives us the ability to call the shots of what we have. You know, so I can say, Here, here's all that I have, and God says, all right, now you can call the shots, but understand this. This over here is holy. When you, when you acknowledge that, you're acknowledging me as, as God and Lord over your life. But if you use that, you have the power to do that, but the day's coming that you're going to give an account before God for what you have done with what he has given you because he's the owner. Whew. That's probably enough right there, huh? Are you ready to go home? <laughs> I want you to understand my motive here is to help you learn something that God taught me years ago and has been the source of every need being met by the Lord in our lives. I want you to have that. Number two, the question would be, and these next two are much quicker, what is the purpose of the tithe? Well, as I've said already, it's the way we acknowledge that he really is king, lord of our lives. But beyond that, 
This is what I want you to understand. The tithe becomes a qualifier for future blessings. When we tithe, it not only brings God's blessing immediately, but it, it sets and establishes a qualification for blessings that are to come. So look again at verse number 10 of Malachi 3. It says, I will open the windows of heaven and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Wow, what a, what a statement. So the picture that God's giving us here is that God instituted the tithe as a way for us to acknowledge that he's the owner, but it also was instituted as a way to establish future blessings upon our lives. But again, as I've already said, if we misuse this, then it becomes not only neutral, it becomes a curse what was meant as a blessing becomes a curse. Now, the purpose of the tithe is that it can be a, a source of God's blessing and favor and provision. But if it's misused, it becomes a source of poverty upon us. And, and so I want you to understand my heart is, I don't want anybody living like that. And I want you also to understand this applies just as much to me and to the rest of the pastors of this church as it does to any, any it's all God's people live under this. We as pastors have, have made a conscious decision. We have chosen who is going to be our, our uh, who we're going to serve, who's going to be our owner. We've made that choice and we've decided that, that we're going to make sure that what God meant as a source of blessing in our lives continues as a source of blessing upon us and doesn't turn into a curse. We pay our tithe, every one of us. I can tell you that with absolute assurance that I know that that happens. Now, I will also be honest, because some of you are saying, I tithe, but I'm still not receiving blessing. The, the, your, a healthy financial picture is bigger than just tithing. But tithe is the foundation, if you want to look at it this way, that you're laying to build a, he a healthy financial house, okay? If a, if a building doesn't have a good foundation, it will crumble. So there are other things that you have to do, and that's bigger than I can get into today, but you've got to lay the foundation first, which is the tithe. It starts right there. So if you haven't been tithing, which as I've told you, it is defined in the Bible as the first 10% of your income, I want to encourage you to take a step of faith and this is what I was talking about. Trust what God has said. Stand on what God has said. Obey what God has said. And see what God will do in your life. But whether or not you do that will depend on how you answer this third question. And the third question is, can I really trust God? So Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean to your own understanding. Don't depend on your own understanding. You know, it's our own understanding that gets in the way all the time. Because here's what God says, and I sit down and I try to think my way through it, and it just doesn't work. In this particular case, you look at your checkbook, and you look at your bills, and you say, there's no way that I can, that I can give. There's no way that I can pay 10% and have enough to pay my bills. And that certainly makes sense. What I also want you to know is that every one of us start out in that condition. Now, some of you, it's a little bit more difficult because you've come to Christ later in life, that is to say, as an adult. I had the privilege of being trained by godly parents who taught me from a very early age when I was making a buck fifty mowing lawns, you know. And by the way, I don't do it for a buck fifty anymore, so don't <laughs> come asking, you know. 
But when I, when I, did, when I did it for a buck 50 when I was a kid, I paid 15 cents to my church as my tithe. And I will tell you that the, that 15 cents didn't matter one bit to the, whether that church made it or not. What it made a difference in is in this kid's heart because it, it set the tone for me the rest of my life, which made it when I got to be an adult and started making an adult salary, I was able then to work that into my life because it was already a set value and priority within my life. But I understand that when you come to Christ later and you're already up to here with bills and now this preacher stands up there and he says, oh, by the way, 10% of that of your income is God's. And you look at it and you say, I'm running out of money before I run out of month. And, and, and you don't ha see any way that it can work. What I will tell you is most people come into this thing that way. And, and, and there's, there's almost nothing about tithing that makes sense to our understanding. That's why it says don't depend on your own understanding because the mystery happens through the power of God to miraculously do what you can never do on your own. And I will tell you that I have had months in my life, Carrie and I have, where we sat down and said, we looked at the bills and we looked at, especially in our earlier days, and, and we looked at, at our income and we said, you know, and I'm paying for college and, and the whole deal. And, and I'm saying, there's no way, God, this is going to work, but the very first bill we pay is our tithe. We write the check out and we give it to the church that we're attending at that particular time when we're young. And, and somehow we come to the end of the month and, and a miracle has happened. I don't know if the bread and fishes just multiplied. I don't know what happened, but there's, there's, there's a penny left in the checkbook. It's not red. It's not red ink. You understand what I'm saying? I'm telling you the truth, folks. We look at each other and say, how in the world did we get through this month? It was nothing but the mystery power of God working upon the life of somebody who will trust what God has said. Uh, so... Um, Proverbs 11:24 it gives us this paradox one person gives freely yet an, and yet gains even more another withholds unduly but comes to poverty that doesn't make sense how can you give and yet gain how can you withhold because that's what if i want to have more i'm not going to give i'm going to keep right but it says here if you do that it turns to poverty I like how the Message Bible puts it. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And so you look at that and you say, that's a paradox. How in the world can that happen? It's the God factor. And you'll find this principle all throughout the scriptures where God will say to you, oh, by the way, if you want to go up, go down. If you want to be great, be the servant. If you want to get, give. You find it's just all through the scriptures. It's the paradox of God's miracle working power. Jesus said it this way, Luke 6, 38. Give away your life and you'll find life given back. But not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. So the question is, do you believe that? 
Do you trust that? I have shared this with you today for one reason. I want to see God transform you financially, start the process of healing and change in your life in 2017. I want a year from now for you to come up to me and to say, should Jesus tarry and, we, and we're both still alive? I want you to come up to me and to say, I want to tell you what God has done for our family over the last year. Now, bottom line is, do you trust that God is faithful to his word? Do you believe? Like I said, there's more to it than just tithing, but that's where you start. And if you need help with the rest of it, we're here to help you. But it starts right there. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. It's a matter of ownership. Who owns you? Uh, I'm going to take the offering here in just a minute. But before I do that, I have a feeling that there are some that are here today, and maybe you've never heard anything like this before. It's never made sense to you before, but now all of a sudden, boom, the light's gone on. And, but the, the truth is you haven't been tithing. I didn't say giving, I said tithing. Some of you are tippers. You tip God, you give him a five. But that doesn't represent your tithe. Now maybe if it does, then that's fine. But your tithe is 10%. And here's the deal. God will take that 10% and he'll start blessing you and before long, you will not only be giving a tithe, but you will be giving offerings, abounding offerings on top of that. God will start using you. I could tell you about the ways, if I had time, of how God has moved and carried in my life to move us out of debt 20 years ago and how that has just opened up our ability to be givers. But here's the deal. Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. So the more you give, the more God blesses you back. And that's, that's the pattern of God's word. And, and we have experienced God has helped us find incredible deals that we never could have found on our own. It's just the miracle power of God. That's the things that will happen in your life. Now, how many of you would say, Pastor Jim, I hear what you're saying and the Holy Spirit speaking to me. I'm going to make a covenant with God to declare his ownership in my life by committing faithfully to tithe to the Lord. I want you to raise your hand to the Lord right now. God bless you. God bless you. Father, you see every hand that has been raised. And I pray, Lord, that you will fulfill the promise. The premise is being fulfilled. They're honoring you with the first fruits. Now, Lord, I pray that you will honor them and bless them with the promise of barns that are full and vats that are overflowing of your divine provision in Jesus' name. Now, we're going to take an offering, pay our tithe and our offerings to the Lord this morning. And I just believe this is going to be the start of a brand new victory in your life as God transforms you financially from poverty to blessings, from want and scarcity to his favor and his prosperity. 
in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask our ushers to come, and you can all stand with me. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.